on so many levels. And um, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis 18, 19, chapter 18, verse 19. I'll get to that in a moment. But it was about five weeks ago that I talked concerning mothers, and we learned a lot of things through Mary and her position and how she stood up as a warrior, how she uh, listened to Father's voice. She responded to his voice, and she said, uh, with, with a warrior spirit, be to me as you said it's going to be done. Be it unto me as you said it. Let it happen to me. I'm willing to go into becoming the mother of the Lord Jesus, and I will willingly go. That she knew how to respond. She also knew how to think because she treasured all things in her heart. She knew how to talk because she began to talk like a victor, not a victim. She had faith words. You could read those. We've studied those the last couple of weeks. And she also knew how to, to grow. And she kept maturing even past Jesus' uh, death on the cross, his burial, his resurrection, even his ascension. But today, as I come to fathers, it's not going to be the same kind of a message. That's going to be something that we're going to look at in terms of what father we can have modeled in Scripture. I can go to many. I could see many good fathers and fathers that we can learn from from Scripture. But this morning... My main emphasis will be on the attack on fathers. Late in this past week, there were three men who wrote an article. I picked it up on the news. These men were a Republican Brian Donalds, who represents Florida's 19th Congressional District in the United States House of Representatives. A Republican Burgess Owens, who represents Utah's 4th Congressional District, United States House of Representatives. Representatives, he's a former Super, Super Bowl champion who played 10 seasons in the NFL for the New York Jets and the Oakland Raiders. Owens is author of the book Liberal, Liberalism or How to Turn Good Men into Whiners, Weenies, and Wimps. That's a book you ought to get. Um, but Jack Brewer also is the author of this article, a former NFL safety, three-time team captain who played for the Vikings, Giants, Eagles, and Cardinals. And uh, these two, three men came together and wrote an article called America's Crisis is Lack of Fathers. I was not startled because I've been aware of it for many years, but I want you to grab hold of the critical situation. And they said this, it's important that we recognize the millions of children throughout our nation who are growing up without their fathers. Data from the U.S. Census Bureau shows that nearly, get this number, 18.5 million children grow up without a father. Not a biological, certainly there was a biological man that gave, um, had relations with a woman and a child was produced, but they were not functioning as fathers. This number, 18.5 million, has led the United States in owning the title of the world's leader in fatherlessness. The world's leader in having the families without fathers in them. They go on to note that fatherhood is essential in the development of children and the increased involvement in fathers in the home leads to better results, economic prosperity, increased academic performance, improved social mobility, Fathers in their respective homes continues to be a key indicator of success for all children across racial, ethnic, socioeconomic groups. There's little doubt, he said, they write, 
that America has experienced an unprecedented fatherless crisis. Approximately 80% of single-parent homes are led by single mothers, therefore leading to nearly 25% of our youth growing up without a father in the home. The staggering statistic not only, de not only destroyed the nuclear family, but has devastated communities across the nation. For example, 85% of children and teens with behavioral disorders come from fatherly, fatherless homes. And over 70% of all adolescent patients, 70% of all adolescent patients in drug and alcohol treatment centers originate from homes without fathers. They go on, we must recognize how we as fathers empower, teach, and develop our children and that plays a direct role in their well-being, mental health, ability to persevere through adversity. And they have resolved and they've introduced legislation. However, they say, it isn't laws that's going to change it. It's going to change the heart. It's got to change the heart. There are numerous advantages to a society that result from a strong nuclear family. For example, regarding poverty, data shows that children without a father in home are five times for, far likely to live in poverty than a child in a two-parent father and mother household. Research indicates that children without fathers at home are nine times more likely to drop out of school and present 90% of all homeless and run, runaway children. We can no longer uh, afford to ignore the de debilitating impact of fatherless homes have on our children. As we prepare, they write, to give thanks on Father's Day, millions of hardworking fathers, we don't want to leave behind the, the forgotten men, women, and children who did not celebrate along with that. God-fearing fathers throughout our nation, we see that you look beyond your homes and make intentional efforts to be coached, mentors, support the fatherless children in our own communities. There's a call that we rise up, men, and and we not only be the father, but even if we're single, we have that action of things reaching out to others. When I was first thinking about that and what they wrote, it gripped me once again about the severity of a condition without a father and what that does in a home. And my first thought was that fatherhood is becoming extinct, that it's extinct, until I looked up the word extinct. The word extinct means there is no, having no living representative, having all died out. So if something is extinct, that means there ain't no more of them. They're gone. There's no more living representative. There's nothing more. It's, it it's called, falls in the category of being extinct. So the next word I thought, well, then it's, we're endangered. Fathers are an endangered role, an endangered group. Here's the definition of endangered. It's seriously at risk of extinction, not doing well, not many left. Men are needed. Men are needed. Fathers are needed. Now, they're able to produce a child, but that doesn't make them a dad. They're able to produce a child in life, but doesn't make a father in the role that they are to play. Earlier this week, I wrote a paper in my PJ Connection. I hope that you read those things. Um, but in Genesis 18, 19, there is a scripture that really uh, stuck out to me from concerning the role of a father. If you had all looked down at your Bibles, Genesis 18, verse 19. 
Abraham's had some visitors. He had no children. And they said, you're going to have a child, and you're going to have a child this time next year. And Sarah laughed at that. She said, listen, I'm so old, I can't, I'll never have a child. Uh, but the word of the Lord came to Abraham and said to those uh, men, got up to leave from Abraham. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? And here's the word, verse 18, or chapter 18, verse 18 and 19. Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation. All nations on earth will be blessed through him, for I have chosen him that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. So that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. God says, as I look at Abraham, he's going to direct or give leadership to his children that they will do what is right, and they will follow the Lord, and they will know the Lord. And as Abraham obeyed that call, he said, all the promises that I've given to him will come to pass. My will will be accomplished. When a man rises up by the name of Abram, Abraham, plural, when he had children, Abraham will rise up, and he will be a man that will lead his children after him by doing what is right, by being that example. There are many men in my life who have marked me throughout my 100,000-year-old life. I don't know how old I am, but anyway, I do know how old I am. But I've had a lot of people bump into me throughout the years, as you have. You have had fathers of your buddy who was a dad over there. You had your own father, possibly. Maybe your father was gone from your life. Maybe he wasn't had an influence. But I've had single men who have come into my life and impacted my life to what it means to be a man, what it means to be a father. Even though they were single, they impacted and mentored me along the way. Maybe it was a short time, maybe it was a longer time. But the role of, the, of a father, the role of that, some were married and had no children. Some were single. Didn't have children of their own, but they made a spiritual impact on my life. It was that role, man. It was that role that we mean to stand in, and that's the role that's missing in our culture and our society right now. And I want to talk about what it means to have an enemy who hates the family, who hates fathers, who hates moms, hates women, hates men, hates children. He is Satan himself, prince of the power of the air, full of lies and deception and evil and wickedness and all that is wrapped up in evil. Satan hates you. I don't know if you men realize that, I certainly do, that when I attempt to walk into the role of being a man of God, there's an enemy who's saying, you can't do that, you shouldn't do that, what are you, some kind of, of a wimp, and lies to me all the time. Because that's what the enemy does. He is a liar and a thief. John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. If he can't kill you, he's going to steal from you. And if whatever he can't steal, he wants to destroy. So what, he want, what does he want to do? He wants to kill you as a man, as a father. He wants to destroy anything that you, about you that gives you influence and a godly influence into your life and family and influence the place where you go. But if I read the rest of that scripture, John, John 10, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy Jesus gives the answer that we all need. I have come that you can have life and have it to the full. 
Everything about life, everything that's good, all that I have is found in Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you again, there is no other answer than the Lord Jesus Christ who came and knew his Father God. And he said, I want to show you who he is because that's where life is. Knowing Jesus, there's something imperative that we grab hold. I am the way, Jesus said, John 14, 6. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to God. No, he said no one comes to the Father but through me. I could talk about Father God. Dave talked about Father God. He's the one I worship. He's the one I, I long to be with, my heavenly Father, which far surpasses, surpasses any earthly role model, any earthly father I had. Anything in that level, there's a God who's a heavenly Father. So how does the enemy come against us? Men, fathers, what tricks does he use in his lies and deceptions and temptation? Let me give you a couple of tricks, and most of it revolves around ignorance. I don't think I've ever spoke on that as one of Satan's biggest tricks, but it is one. It's called ignorance. Ignorance. Because the enemy comes to deceive you and keep you from the knowledge of the truth. He wants to keep you, keep you dumb. He wants to keep you without having any understanding, without having any basis. And the first thing that he wants to do is he wants to move you into a deceptive thing called compromise. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Are you here? I'm just I'm looking around. I know it's Father's Day. Somebody has a cake and you don't. Get over that, okay? But are you here? If you're here, say, I'm here. Okay, 12 of you. The other ones just keep sleeping. It'll be fine. All right. The enemy comes and he will propose to us and offer us a compromise. He will give us an option out of walking in righteousness. He will give us a way out. And if he can't move you, said, no, I'm following God. He will give you some small concession that you can justify that will never get you free. It will keep you in bondage. Let me give you an example Something you can swallow, something you can grab hold of. Go to the book of Exodus. I was studying the other day on this, and this came up, and I went, wow, I have never seen how Pharaoh treated the children of Israel. Go to Exodus chapter 8. This is the beginning of your Bible, Genesis, Exodus chapter 8, and verse 28. We all know that the children of Israel were held in bondage in Egypt for many, many hundreds of years. They were there. Slaves, enslaved. We know that the picture of Egypt is a place of bondage. It's a place of sin. Pharaoh uh, holding them bond in bondage to that. And they cried out to God and said, uh, God, you've got to deliver us. And God sent a man by the name of Moses said, go. And you pronounce to Pharaoh, let my people go. Let them walk, get them out of here. And Moses kept going to Pharaoh and kept going to Pharaoh. You know the story, I pray. Did you do it? Read about it in Exodus the book of Exodus, but Exodus chapter 8, he said uh, to Pharaoh, they, they, the plagues were going on, uh, there was a plague of blood, the plague of frogs, the plague of gnats and flies and so forth, and Moses again appears before that symbolic slave driver, Satan himself, that enemy of God's people, Pharaoh, and he said to them, I'm down to verse 28, I gotta back, go back to 26. All right, but Moses said, that would not be right. 
got to get what would not be right. 25, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, go sacrifice to your God here in the land. But Moses said, that would not be right. The sacrifices we offer to the Lord our God would be detestable to the Egyptians. And if we offer sacrifices that are detestable in their eyes, won't they stone us? We must take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God as he commands. Now, here's the verse. Pharaoh said, I will let you go to offer sacrifices to the Lord your God in the wilderness, but you must not go very far. Now, pray for me. He said, you can go, but I'm not going to let you go very far. You can go out and play. You can do your thing with your God, but just get back here. And as you look at that, you, you can, what, is, what does Satan offer us? You know, you might be able to pray. You can do a little bit, but you, don't leave. Come back here. Come back to live in the sin. Come back and live in bodies. Don't be free. Now, look what happens later. Exodus chapter 10. Just go over a couple chapters to 10. This is the final, right before the final plague when Pharaoh eventually let them go. But here, verse 24. Pharaoh summoned Moses and said, go worship the Lord. Even your women and children may go with you. Only leave your flocks and herds behind. But Moses said, you must allow us to have sacrifices and burnt offerings to present to the Lord our God. Our livestock too must go with us. Not, listen, not a hoof is to be left behind. We have to use some of them in worshiping the Lord our God. Until we get there, we will not know what we are to use to worship the Lord. What is Moses saying? He said, we're not even going to leave a hoof behind. We're not leaving anything behind. We're taking it all, and we're going to go follow our God. Now, men, women, all of us in this house, there is a decision that needs to be made that says, I'm not leaving anything back in the house of sin. I'm not leaving anything back there that I'm going to go back sometime to get. No, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. I'm pressing on with my God. And men, if there's any decision I'm calling all of us to make this morning is to determine I'm going to follow God and I'm not even going to leave a toenail back in Satan's camp. I'm leaving it all because I have decided that I'm giving my life totally, completely to Jesus Christ. All the way through. All the way through. I had a list that I gave on, on Tuesday, Thursday, I'm sorry, in my PJ connection, I wish I could memorize it, but I don't have it memorized. Some of you read it. I want to read it this morning. A most wanted man. I use the scripture, Genesis 18, 9, that God's going to raise up a, a man, Abraham, and he's going to lead his children. Our responsibility is to be a man of God first and live it, teach it, model it to our children, raising up a godly generation. This might be the list you can go for. The man whose heart is after God. Throughout my journey, I have talked to many men, young men, boys, teenage boys, my own sons. And they have a lot of goals, and they have a lot of desires. They have desires to have a girlfriend and get married and have children, all that stuff. Listen, I've seen men who are weeping in my presence saying, my wife has left me. She won't talk to me anymore. There's nothing I can do. Listen, 
you got to get right with God. You become a man of God first. Because then, as a man of God, you will do and walk in his wisdom and righteousness. Number one, a man whose heart is after God. Number two, the man who loves God and his word. Number three, a man who determines to be the right example to every child, not just talk about it. Again, if I've ever seen any teens run away from God from this house all over the 40-some years I've been pastoring here, I would say probably the number one reason they turned away from God when they left, got old enough to leave, was because my dad was a phony and he stood up in front of church and thought, made you guys think that he was a righteous man. But at home, you didn't know what he was like. I'm sorry to say that, but that was a, that's a fact. Failed to fulfill what a fatherhood meant, to live it, not just talk about it. There's got to be a man who determines to be the right example to his child. Number four, the man who's willing to say, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? I remember as a dad walking into my boys after I had gotten furious with them, berated them, spanked them, did whatever I did to them. And then the heart convicted me and said, boy, that was a little over the top, wasn't it? I remember going into the room at night and saying, son, I'm sorry for that. What you did was wrong. I'm not apologizing. I'm not taking that away, but my behavior towards you did not demonstrate even how God treats me, and I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? Man, I'll tell you what. There's ways to get into your son's heart, and that's the one way to do it. Humble yourself and admit it to your wife, to your children, your daughter. Go say, listen, I haven't lived that way. I need to live different. Number five, the man who will look at temptation and sin and squarely look at it and say no. Number six, a man who's a real encourager. Number seven, a man who brings his children to church rather than just sending them. Number eight, the man who walks humbly before God. Number nine, the man who's unafraid to show love and affection to his wife and children. There's something that it requires us to walk humbly with God and go against the lies of compromise that Satan gives us. The second thing he does, not only compromise, but is what I just said, the, the total issue of ignorance. You might have some knowledge of God and still make a bad choice. I understand that. Turn to James 4, 17. We're going to look at a couple verses here. James 4, 17. Book of James, chapter 4, verse 17. James 4, 17, it says, If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. See, if you know the truth and don't walk in it, that puts you in that rebellious condition of being a sinner. You are disobeying what you know. But if you don't know, you have no knowledge of God, you have no way to know, you can't help but walk in the darkness of the world around you. Jesus said this way, Luke chapter 11. Go back up to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 11. Luke 11, verse 52. Jesus talking to the religious ones, the Pharisees, said, Woe to you, verse 11, Luke eleven fifty-two. Woe to you, experts in the law, because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered, and you hindered those who are entering. Knowledge is the key 
Jesus is the way. I've already quoted it, John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. What does uh, ignorance do? It opens the door to sin. 2 Timothy 3, I'll just quote these verses. I won't turn to them. 2 Timothy 3, verses 6 and 7. He writes in that passage of Scripture where he talked about what's going to happen in the end times. He said there's going to be people who are always learning but never able to come to the knowledge of truth. Knowledge is learning. You see, ignorance will lock up sin in your mind. You're blinded, empty-headed. You don't see the guilt. You're like the child who wanders out into the waves at Myrtle Beach or the some sea someplace. Little child doesn't know that there's a wave there that's going to suck them up and carry them out and drown them. They're just playing in the water. Too many men are like that. We're just playing in the water, not realizing that our behavior is going to take us to a place of death. Ignorance. We don't know God's way. We don't know God's word. There's so often regrets. Well, I didn't know how. I didn't see what the results would be when I entered into this. It's ignorance. I know that all of us have felt that way sometimes, men and women alike. I didn't realize by that this would result. But if we feel like that, we got to get to God. We've got to go to God for wisdom. We have to feed our mind on the word of God. You know, God gave us a conscience. But a conscience is going to function according to what it knows. And there was a time in my life when I didn't know anything about sour cream, and I probably ate some, but now I have a conscience. I'm not eating it. You know, that's a very silly illustration to point that sin is that way. If you don't have a knowledge of sin, you never knew that that was wrong. God has given us his word that that conscience is developed, and we can function in guilt. I thank God that he's given you a conscience and me a conscience according to the word of God. That when you're tempted to move into something, you say, no, I can't go into that because I know that that will disobey God. That will destroy my family. That will work on my community. That will ruin the name of Jesus. I won't do it. What did I say earlier? Satan offers you a compromise. Nobody's going to know. Nobody will look at that. You can get away with that. No, you can't. There's something that God says about that. If you keep ignorance in your mind and you don't walk in it, it's, it's going to uh, change the, the very means of, of, of the rescue that God plans. Let me give you another phrase. You can't save a man from a burning house if he won't let you in to get him. You can't save anybody who doesn't want to be saved. You can't get him out of the fire. Years ago, my brother Tom and his wife were working in a camp ministry north of Santa Cruz, California, in Felton, Colorado, California, not Colorado, California. And he got involved, and in he was, became a volunteer fireman. And way up in the, the hills and the forests and stuff of northern California there, way up by the coast, there was a lot of different strange people there. But they had a fi house fire that they were called to one day. And then they come, the volunteer firemen are coming with their, their cars, and they know what happens when redwoods catch on fire. They build up with steam and explode, and, and they knew all that. And there's a fire raging. And at the, at the drive to get into the, to the house to put the fire out is a man standing with a shotgun. He said, I'll shoot anybody that crosses my property line. But your house is on fire. I don't care. Let it burn. Can we at least go to your neighbors and wet their houses down and take care of that? 
They couldn't save any of his property. Why? His pride or his refusal, and I would even say his insanity, says, I'll hurt anybody who tries to change me. Let it go. If they're willingly ignorant and saying, you can't talk to me, that's, a satan that's part of Satan's tricks, right? He's a liar. He tells you, don't listen to God, listen to me. But you're wrong. Well, no, I'm right. God's wrong. That's Satan's tactics. But if people are willingly ignorant, threats or promises aren't going to work. You can put the largest danger sign in front of a cliff in a national park, and every year we have somebody who goes past the big red sign with the white letters, danger, don't cross this place, and what do they do? They go out, and they fall off the cliff, and they die. If you want to be willingly ignorant, you're going to die. If you want to continue in sin, saying, I can get away with this, I can go. God says, no, you can't. The only way out of darkness is by coming to the light of the world, and his name is Jesus. He's our hope, guys. Fathers everywhere, when you turn to him. And I want to talk to parents as well. Fathers, yes, but moms as well. We need to rise up in this generation. We can't just sit in our comfortable homes or whatever and look out and say, wow, isn't that bad out there? No, it's time that we take the word, bring it into our home, but also to talk with others and say, come on, step it up. Let me give you a couple of phrases again. Your child, your children have souls which God expects you to nourish with at least as much care as you give to their food, clothing, and shelter. To tend to their heart. Here's a big question. Who's going to teach them if you don't? Could I tell you who's going to teach them if you don't? The world, your teachers, your coaches, the gangs, the internet. How many times were young men who are turned, how? They, 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 what's the term they use? They were, they were uh, terrorized or something by virtue of what they were watching. There's a name for that. I can't remember it right now, but you got it. You know what I'm talking about. Who's going to train them if you don't? Everybody else will train them but you. But your role is to do that. They, they need a connected GPS system. What I mean, you all know GPS? Global Positioning System. It used to be North Star Global Positioning System. It's been around since 74. It's perfected now, so I could look at my watch and I know exactly where I'm standing. There's a satellite somewhere looking at me right now. I move this way. You know what I'm talking about? You guys act like you don't know what I'm talking about. You all have them in your cards. You got them on your phones. You got them on your watch. You got them. And if not, somebody knows where you are. Everybody. But there's a global positioning system. Global. Think of that. It's global. I could probably look up my sister in Japan right now and find her as a little blue dot on a global map. And she's 15 hours from here, 14 hours from here, around the world. Now, we all know that, right? We all live with that. We know that. Guess where it is? It's in the heavens. There's 200 satellites that are running all over the place. Isn't that what it is? I think it is. I'm no scientist here. But there is a space content. If you look it up at GPS, there's a space content. 
There's a control segment to this and a user segment. Now let's take that into the word of God. We have a God who cares about us. We have a God who knows us. We have a God who is, sits in the heavens. Psalm 2 said he sits there and laughs. at our. He said, what are you doing, people? Psalm chapter 2, you can read it. There's a space section. It's a God positioning system. Your children and you need to have a God positioning because the control part of that segment is the word of God. But what's the user segment? That's you. That's me. David, busy king that it was, thought it would be important to impart, to instruct to his son Solomon. Turn to 1 Chronicles 28. 1 Chronicles 28. 1 Chronicles 28. 1 Chronicles 28. Busy king. Involved in the, the whole thing of ruling the kingdom. 1 Chronicles 28.9. And he says this. And you, my son Solomon. I like that he identifies who his son was. I remember when my mom would holler for one of me, looking right at me, and call me all my siblings' names. Jack, Tim, Tom. I'm not moving until you know who I am. She said, if you don't move, you're dead. Okay, your choice. I said, okay, I'll go, Mom. He identifies his son. He had a lot of sons. But he said, my son Solomon, listen to what he said, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind, for the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you, my son, but if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Be strong and do the work, and so forth. Timothy had a mom and a grandmom who taught him. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, Paul writes to Timothy, he said, you had mom and your grandma who showed you the scriptures, the role of a parent. Let me quote uh, from one of my favorite authors of all time, William Grinnell, who wrote a book in 1642 to 1665, 1662 to 1665. Listen to this phrase. It, it always stops me up short. He said, you will, have, you will give poor account at the last day if all you can say is, Lord, here are my children. I bred them gentlemen and left them wealthy. He writes, what a mocking witness to your own folly that you would do so much for that which rusts and nothing for a knowledge of God unto salvation which endures forever. It's important your child is not born with a Bible in his head or his heart. We've got to plant God's word in them so it can grow. Let me give you another quote by William Grinnell. Can there be a greater heartache in this life than to see your own child running full speed toward hell and know you were the one who outfitted him for the race? 1665, it was the same deal. It's the one that Satan has been working on with humanity forever. Psalm 22, Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way it should go. That's not a casual suggestion. It's a solemn command. Very quickly, let me finish with this. How do I change? How do I become not ignorant but what, full of wisdom? 
How can the men of Suffield Fellowship rise? Some of us are grandpas. Our children are grown that we have less impact on them. Maybe we blew it. Maybe we didn't. Maybe they're, whatever it is. I'm not just, Lord, forgive me for all that stuff. I'm not talking about that. But I'm saying, how do we start today? What do we begin to do in order to move ahead in a time when people are desperate? 18.5 million children that don't have dads in the home. What do we do? I think we, number one, I have to acknowledge my own ignorance. I said, God, I don't know how to do this. Revelation 3.17 to the church of Laodicea, it said, you're blind and naked and you don't even know it. Come buy from me gold. That's Revelation 3.17. You see, pride keeps you from growing or learning. It's time to acknowledge my pride and say, Lord, I humble myself and say, I've got to do this right. Number two, be faithful in what you learn. Do it. Don't just read the Bible. Do what the Bible says. I had a friend here in Akron, uh, very instrumental in men's ministries by the name of Hank Richards. He was a man who met the Lord way into his middle life of years, and he had a bunch of boys and stuff, and he was a rotten example. I mean, he showed his boys what not to do left and right. But then he met Jesus. And his life was changed. And I remember him telling the story when he gathered his entire family, gathered his sons and their wives and grandchildren. And he got before them and knelt as he told his story. And he said, I want to repent before you. I'm sorry for my life, how I lived it before. But I found Jesus and I want you to know him too. And I want to give you a blessing that I never gave you before. I want to bless you in the name of of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he talked to every one of his sons in that room where they were. I've been in his house. It's probably a big living room area where a family room where they were, and he went in front and knelt before every one of his sons and daughters, and he said, your dad is a different man. I want to follow Jesus and everything I have, and he became a very instrumental man with bikers down in Akron at the Hope Cafe. He would talk to men over and over. He, he became an evangelist in that regard. He said, did your dad ever love you? Oh, no. I came back from Vietnam, and my dad never wanted to see me again. I came back from this. He never wanted anything. I don't know what else to do. I'm an alcoholic. I'm a drug addict. My kids, I don't know where they are. He said, could I tell you about Jesus and how he can turn your life around? If y'all all's good in your life, you're called now, we are called now to be a declarer of the good news of the gospel to people who desperately need hope and they need, we need to share Jesus. Number three, you need to pray for more wisdom. Number four, study regularly. I've said this so many times to marriage couples that come to me and I look at the guy because she says, he doesn't know me. I said, tell me how you catch fish. Oh, well, I'll tell you. You got to get this right lure, and if you're going to go for bass, you got to do this one. If you're going to go for trout, you need this fly, and you got to throw it over there, and you can't use that. It's got to be two-pound temp, whatever it is. And he goes on and on. You got to have a net to get up. I said, you're going to tell me, sir. You're going to sit right here. Uh, let me ask you one further question. Do you have magazines that you get to your house, catalogs, to tell you all about that? Oh, yeah. I know how to hunt a white-tailed deer. I know how to chase that deer across the fields. I know what they eat. I know when they sleep. I can get them. I'm a hunter. I said, so you're telling me that as a man, 
you know more about hunting and fishing than about this woman who you said you would love with all your heart and you don't know a thing about her? It is time you change. It's time you rise up and become a man who can live for God. And I'm talking to Christian guys, not just ungodly guys, who know more about their cars. The car show last week, you bump one of those guys, and I'll tell you about everything in my car. I got that engine there. Oh, the carburetor. I found that over there in that junkyard. And I found, I said, have you ever searched for your wife? Oh, she doesn't like me anyway. Yeah? How could she like something like that? Motorhead like you? You're not loving her with the things of God. You're not showing her who you are. You've got to study the word of God, fathers. We've got to know. And I've got to finish with this. Whatever you do, don't give up. It is time. And if I could get this message, I'd give it to every man in that in the men, we gotta quit quitting. We gotta stand up for righteousness, follow God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our children and our wives as ourselves. Love your neighbor. Someone says, but I don't love him anymore. The Bible says, love your enemies. He's your enemy? Yeah, love him. Teach your children. Walk in that. We have a desperate need, man, to rise up as fathers. And I'll tell you, you cannot do it. I cannot do it without the help of God's power and his Holy Spirit in my life. Because he, he's the one that's going to lead me to the truth. He's going to help me as I humble myself before him. How do I change? I simply come to God with all that I am and say, God, here I am. I desire your power in my life. I'm coming, humbly coming to you. We need the Holy Spirit. We're going to sing a song here at the end called Breathe on Me, Breath of God. Because if you don't allow him, you're, you're like the guy in the house. It's fire's burning down. You say, I don't want to come out of my fire. Get out and allow the Holy Spirit to come. Worship team, as you guys would come up and we'll sing. If all the rest of us stand and man, I just desire you to, to stand. I'm gonna I'm gonna just change my command my direction here. I want all ladies to sit down, all males in the house to keep standing. Men, I want you to stand with me. Just stand with me. Father God, I pray for men right now in this house. Pray, Holy Spirit, that you might fall on men. Fathers, we need you, Lord. We represent other men that we know who are in need. Father, equip us now by your Holy Spirit. First of all, Lord, we know we've sinned. We know we've failed. But I thank you that the cross, at the cross, you've taken our sin and you can forgive us. So, Lord, we lay it down this morning. We lay our, we come before you and say, Lord, have your way in me. Holy Spirit, have your way in us as men. It's a time for us to move into an Abraham spirit that says he will direct his children after him and he will do what's right and just. Why? Father, that your will might be accomplished on the earth. So, Lord, I pray for a new infusion of the power of the Holy Spirit on every man here today, young and old alike. No matter where we are, we need it, Lord. So, Father, we stand as men before you, our Heavenly Father, and say, Father, 
you with our hearts. Touch us. We yield ourselves to you. Teach us, Lord, how to do that in this time and in this day. Ladies, would you just join us as we worship God?